You are listening to a Live City Church podcast, and we hope you'll experience Jesus today. We are excited to have you join our extended online church family. If you would like further information or wish to access more content, please connect with us on our Live City Church Facebook page or visit us at livecitychurch.com. your presence and we want more of it so father we invite you this morning to come and pervade our thoughts come and fall upon our bodies right now touching those areas that have been dead for a long time and bringing it back to life father i pray that those things those dreams that were dead in the past that you will rebirth them again It's a time of refreshing. It's a time to dream again. And Father, we can't do that in our own strength. We, right now, give you permission to move and to do the things that only you can do in our hearts and lives. This morning, Father, we pray for more of your presence. More of your presence. Let every person here in this place and those listening to podcasts touch the heart of Jesus this morning. We agree and say, Amen, amen. Why don't you find six people around you and wish them Merry Christmas? I was a bit surprised that we didn't have a Christmas carol this morning. Maybe a little bit of disappointment, but we did have two weeks ago, we, we sang carols and we enjoy that. And the truth of the matter is, every song we actually sing in church is a Christmas carol. The world doesn't understand that, and they wait till the end of the year to sing a whole bunch of old songs, which we love and we treasure. But every week, we're singing songs that are Christmas carols. It reflects the glory of God, and we're singing it over and over. And this morning, I wanted to stick with that Christmas theme, and I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Luke and chapter 2. Luke and chapter 2. It's a different kind of Christmas message, and usually when we speak on Christmas and we have a Christmas-themed message, it's often about the shepherds, or it's about the wise men. Or it's about the manger scene, or it's about Joseph, or it's about Mary. But I wanted to do something a bit different today. I'm buying you some time to turn to Luke chapter 2, going to verse 25. And I was thinking about this and reflecting on it this week. As Christians, I think we spoke about this last week on holiday. As Christians, we are called to be Christ-like. And so what can we draw from the birth story of Jesus that could make us more Christ-like? And, you know, no, you can't be a baby again, but you can be born again. You may not be birthed next to animals, but you've got your own family. Some of you got that. Thank you. You may not be wrapped up in swaddling clothes, but you can think of a few people who should be. You are not God's only son, but you are a child of God. We can relate to Jesus in so many ways. He came from questionable origins. Look at the person next to you and say, I'm thinking about you too. Where do you come from? (laughs) There was turmoil in his family when he was born. 
They're questioning. Here's the thing. Think about this for a moment. It wasn't the pretty scene that we sing, silent night. Joseph's thinking, is this still really my baby? You know, is it going to be? Is it, it's not my baby because it's someone else's baby. Is it really the Lord's baby? She said, his baby, holy night. And Mary's thinking, is this man actually going to stay married to me knowing that it's not his kid? You know, all is calm. I just want to strangle something because you did not book the in like I told you to book the inn. And so they know you should have gone online, called the phone, and say, hey, innkeeper, I'd like to book my rooms, check on the rooms. All is bright. You see, we have this beautiful scene of Christmas, but it was messy. Christmas is messy. The promise of God to mankind that there will be peace came in a time of messiness. Jesus' family line was full of shady characters thinking about some of the younger ones in the midst. Hopefully they won't understand this, but there was a prostitute in the family line. There was a non-Jew in the family line. There was incest in the family line. No, there's some, it's not some, yes, it was messy. People wanted to kill him while he was still a baby, but his parents chose to keep him. Today we live in a society where that decision is being made about that unborn baby, whether it's going to live or die. Jesus was, that choice is going to be taken out of him, but by the grace of God. Some of you are here, but by the grace of God. Today, we're going to do things differently. I want to focus on two notable characters in the story of, around Christmas that we often miss. And it's a story that we're going to derive some key principles to learn from and follow by two people called Simeon and Anna. Follow with me in Luke chapter 2. We're going to read verse 25 to 38. Now, There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. I just want you to keep in mind for a moment, he is not the high priest of Israel. There's something changing, a shifting of seasons. Atmospheres are shifting now, because there are things that are happening around the time of Jesus that have never happened before. Because the Holy Spirit is upon Simeon, who is not a high priest of Israel. The Holy Spirit is upon Simeon, who is not a king of Israel. This is unusual. The Bible tells us that John the Baptist, when he was still in the womb, and Mary came with baby Jesus in her womb, when they approached one another because of the baby inside of Jesus' womb, John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit and leapt inside of Elizabeth, his mom, and then she got filled with the Holy Spirit. Just understand for a moment, this is unusual. Jesus had not yet died for the sins of mankind, and yet people are getting filled with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is falling on people who are not priests or kings or prophets. This is an unusual thing that is happening here. It had been revealed to him, verse 26, by the Holy Spirit, that he, Simeon, would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So while the passages of Scripture tell you that it was quiet for 400 years from the book of Malachi until Matthew, the Holy Spirit is starting to move in this season and in this time, talking to mankind like he'd never had done before, preparing the way of the Lord. Moved by the Spirit, verse 27, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Does anyone understand what I'm talking about? In other words, so there was a command of Jesus when the, the sons are born. Eight days later, they, they have to have the snip. 
Now, interestingly enough, medically speaking, the boys produce more blood on the eighth day than at any other time. For some reason, for some reason, there's this overabundance of blood, so the eighth day is a perfect time to do the snip. So the parents brought the child in to do to Jesus what was a custom of the law. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised now, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all the people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said. Sorry, my, my iPad's doing some strange things again. Be healed in Jesus' name. Out, foul thing. I think I'm going to need an, that's right, I'm going to need like a Christian version here after this. Okay, maybe an old school Bible, I hear you, amen. Forgive me, Lord. God will redeem the smart devices. Verse 33, back to the scripture, thank you. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after a marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. Father, we pray that you'd give us understanding of the word, the things that we need to apply to our lives. How can we be more like Jesus? Father, I pray that you would arrest every thought. And Lord, we release the Holy Spirit, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that we would know you, that we would understand you in Jesus' name. Now, I want you to take some things down here today. Simeon and Anna were both old. Anna being, according to some commentators that looked up uh, about three of them, said that she's about, at the very minimum, 103 years old. That's what they said. If she was married at the youngest age of 12. So imagine this old lady. She's part of the furniture. She's been there from a, ver from a very young woman, very young age. Husband died when she was 19. And she's been praying in the temple, fasting and praying regularly, waiting for Jesus to come. Sometimes it seems like that solution, that answer to your problem, can take a long time in the coming. And we think in our, in our earth years, it is a long time indeed. But to God, who lives eternally, it's never a long time. Do you ever watch Lord of the Rings? I'm sorry to do this to you. Some people hate Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings, thank you very much, sister, for being honest, and brother, thank you so much. For everybody else, you know, Jesus will deal with you. But, you know, there is that, who's that big, who's that guy, um, Gandalf, thank you, Gandalf, holds this thing, you know, and, and he has this thing, you know, you shall not pass, pass, pass. You remember him? He would say when he was always late, he would say, a wizard is never late. He's always on time. And that's how Jesus works. He, thank you so much. So obviously she watched it. He lies precisely when he's needed. Exactly right. Thank you. So think about this. They're both old. 
They're old in their years, and they've been waiting for the arrival of the promised Messiah. They had not seen it. This is years and years and years and years. I want to encourage somebody here today. You've been waiting for a promise. It has not come to pass. Don't give up. Keep waiting on it. Keep brooding on it. Keep praying over it. Fast and pray. This cup, this Simeon and Anna, you're feeling this, they represent the old covenant, which looked expectantly for the reconciliation of mankind to God. They realize there's nothing that man can do to be able to do everything righteously according to the law. We're supposed to. Jesus said, I didn't come to throw it away. I came to fulfill it because you can't. So they're waiting for the fulfillment of the old covenant through a new covenant that could only come through the Messiah. They were led by the Holy Spirit to the same spot at the same time to witness the consecration of Jesus, his first fulfillment of the law. Everything he did fulfilled the law. There were two of them. Those of you who heard me preach before know this, and you'll learn this in Bible school. Uh, the Word of God says that a matter is established in the presence of two or three witnesses. Any word that, for example, if there was a crime that was committed, excuse me, committed, you needed to have more than one witness. It wasn't enough. You need to have at least two. So God provided two witnesses. And here's another thing. Perhaps one signifies Adam and one signifies Eve, that in their sin, God was going to redeem it all. Simeon and Anna, uh, their most important mission was save for their old age. All you old people, those feeling old, don't fall for the lie that your best days are behind you. God isn't through with you yet. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, God isn't through with you yet. Some of you are thinking, yeah, oh, I needed to hear that. Given this was their last and very significant mission, what they said in this passage is very important for us to embrace. Between them, they prophesied six key roles about the destiny of the baby Jesus and what he would fulfill. One of them was specifically for Mary. If you're taking notes, hear what they are. Number one, they prophesied that he would be the salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all people. Jesus needed to be prepared to be the Savior. So there's two things. He's, he's going to bring salvation, but he had to be prepared in the sight of all the people to be the Savior. He did not emerge a fully grown man. See, God could have done that. He could have snapped his finger, there you are, come out of, the, out of Mary, and then six months later he's a fully grown man. But he didn't. He chose to come in the same way that we did as defenseless, harmless, innocent babies. He grew into his calling just as much as we must grow into ours. See, sometimes when we first get saved in particular, we, we want to do great things for God, and he wants you to do great things. He's got a plan for you. But you can never outrun your preparation, this preparation. God has a destiny for each of you, but if you're not being discipled, and this morning you heard from Pete, he was saying, uh, sorry, it was uh, Marty in, in devotions. He was saying, you've got to read the word and pray. If you're going to do anything significant or anything great, you've got to hear, read the word and pray. If you're going through difficult circumstances and situations, you've got to read the word and pray. If you're looking for your next set of instructions for another day, you've got to read the word and pray. You getting the point? Some of you here get to this. Thank you so much. In case, if you're guests here today, I, I'm, I'm used to a loud crowd. So please, don't be quiet. Make some noise. It's okay. Help me to preach this. 
Jesus grew into his calling just as much as we must grow into our calling. I was reminded of, uh, it was on Facebook, I saw an, the next new round of animated babies dancing. Remember the ones from the, from the early ni- uh, late 90s, early 2000s, the babies dancing? And we remark on it. It is so cute and so nice because it's unusual for babies to be dancing. They haven't even learned to crawl, let alone walk, and here they are doing these complicated dances. See, that's the thing. We want to be those babies that are able to do those complicated dances without, learn- without bothering to learn how to crawl, let alone walk. So some of you, you're trying to push that anointing, you're trying to push to get to the next level in your journey with God, but you can't push and run ahead of your preparation. Thank you for that one amen. Yes, God bless you. You may not be able to save the world, but you can save one by introducing them to Jesus. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Jesus came to seek and to save those which are lost. If we want to be Christ-like, this is what we need to understand. We are that Jesus to people. If we can introduce them to Jesus, they will find salvation. Jesus was criticized for this, that he went out to save the the lost. See, all the other Pharisees and the religious leaders, they went and ministered to to Christians, our equivalent of Christians. All they did for ministry was in the house of God. But Jesus understood that that's not the mission. The mission is outside the walls of this building. That's where real ministry comes in. We are called to reach a lost world. So he was criticized for this, and Jesus explained, a physician doesn't go and look for healthy people to look after. He looks for sick people. How many sick people are you looking for in the world today? The world is sick and in need of a Savior. Despite many scholars who studied the word in anticipation of the coming Messiah, they missed Jesus, who was living and walking among them. I want to challenge you with this thought. Are you missing Jesus in this season right now? Christmas is being thrown in your face. You've gone around buying your presents, getting yourself ready, getting that tree prepared. Husbands, I know you're going to wait till tomorrow. That's okay. But here we are getting ready, but are you missing seeing who Jesus is? Number two, going real quick. He is a light for revelation. And I know we preached on this. You've heard this over the years before, but I want to remind you again. You are called to be light. But it's interesting. It says a light for revelation. There's two things. Firstly, a light. A light can't be hidden in darkness. Jesus, in other words, was never meant to be hidden to the world. He was made to be seen by the world. And like Jesus, we are a light to the world. We're not meant to be ninja Christians. Thank you. You are not meant to be, my, my son did this yesterday, came dressed up. All of a sudden, he was in his uh, single, I think he was just in his undies. And everyone, that's my boy. Jumps in the pool, comes out, and just changes in that. But he appeared. He had this beautiful, nice new shirt, and, and he had these shorts on. He had his shoes on. And he says, Dad, I'm a secret agent. I said, son, now that you told me your secret, does it mean you're no longer a secret agent? That I messed with him. But you are not a secret agent Christian. You are not a spectator Christian. You either are a Christian or you aren't. A Christian is a light to the world. Right now, the Jews have finished celebrating Hanukkah, the festival of lights. Jesus is the light of the world, and you are that light that cannot be hidden. 
What are you doing with your light? I want you to turn to the person next to you, make it real and say, what are you doing with your light? I want your neighbor to turn back to them and say, what are you doing with your light? <laughs> there is only one type of Christian, and they are a light in the darkness. They are fearless in the storms. They are devil-stomping, spirit-walking, overcoming children of God. How many stomping, devil-stomping Christians are there right now in this place? Some of you are like, eh, not so sure about that. Praise Jesus. I know it's touching your heart. It's okay. You have permission right now. Those of you in Life City Church, get, just, you know, just give them in the, get them in the ribs. Furthermore, Jesus was not simply a light to the darkness, but he was a light of revelation. I need you to understand that Jesus said the fields are ripe on the harvest. There are people ready, ready. So we think, this is what we say in Australia today. Oh, Australia is a hard nation. They don't want to know about Jesus. We've got people in this place here today who got saved because we just knocked on doors and had a conversation. There are people ready to hear the gospel of, of salvation. But here's the thing. The gospel is you. So you carry that word. That's why you're supposed to read it. You are that gospel message. They see how you live your life. They hear what you say. You see, the revelation comes where they can see what you're saying is matching what you're doing. But some of you, you come to church. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I don't know anybody here. I'm not looking at anyone. Some of you are going to church, and you're living righteously. Your hands are up in the air, and then come Monday, you live like the devil. You live like the world. Some of you, you know what I'm talking about. You are clubbing in the, on, the, on the weekends, and you're saying, oh, I love Jesus, I love Jesus. It's like, make up your mind. Is he the Lord of your life? Is he the Lord of all or not at all? I'm waiting for the, you know, yes, that was right, Pastor. Thank you so much. <laughs> People are counting on you to tell them your story. The gospel message is powerful. The gospel is dynamic, is living, active. It's, it's a sword, a flaming sword. But you are the vessel that God chose to share that gospel message with people. Why are we so quiet? This week as I'm preparing this message, the Lord is just sort of taunting me with that, saying, what are you doing about it? Okay, you get up here and you preach. You should be, you should be. what about you? So, you know, and I, I look for the opportunities, and I'm praying now for the opportunity. That's the difference. I'm no longer looking for the opportunities. I'm praying for the opportunities so that I can share the gospel with just one person. If I can just do one next year, Praise the Lord. If I can do 100, yay God. If I can just do one though, can you focus on one? They're counting on you to tell them your story. That's what brings revelation. where They can see the gospel working out in your life. You have the answer to the world's problems. Why are you keeping the answer to yourself? This question's being raised in the community. Why did this happen to me? Why is this? Why did she leave me? Why was I fired from the job? Why did my company shut down? Why did my business fail? You have the answers. Third reason, the third thing that Jesus came for was to be the glory of his people. He's your glory. He's your honor. 
by being associated with him, you receive his glory. I mean, we, why are we quiet about this? He's the glory of Israel, the Savior, Messiah. He is your ticket to eternal life. He is your sponsor. He is your advocate who gives you reason and meaning and purpose in life. Some of you are living like you have no purpose. Read the word. Pray. Repent. And get your heart right with him. He'll begin telling you your mission that will scare you to your roots. Jesus never made it comfortable. See, he fell asleep on the boat because he wanted to give the 12 disciples an an opportunity to show and demonstrate their faith. He taught them everything they needed to know to calm storms. But we, you're right, Pete, get so worried over the little things. You know, we're so concerned over little things that happen in our life. If you can't handle the little stuff now and go to prayer on your knees reading the word, how can you handle the big stuff that God has for you? This life that we live is a training for reigning. The Bible says one day you will rule over angels. You will rule over angels. That's why we're called kings and priests. This is our practice right now. If you can't handle problems and workout solutions now, how can you lead angels and tell them what to do? Thank you, Jesus. There's no glory in living for yourself. A hero receives glory not because they serve themselves, but they are a hero because glory comes from doing the difficult things that others won't do and sacrificing yourself for others. That's how heroes are born. That's how we receive glory in this lifetime. The Bible says it is the glory of God to conceal a matter. It is the glory of kings to uncover a matter. Want to be a king that's gloried? Then look for the things that God has for you. Mark 10, 45 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. That's why the baby Jesus came, to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. Glory comes from doing radical things for others. I realize you're not seeking glory for yourself. But glory comes to those who live sacrificially for others. Will you sacrifice yourselves for others? Will you live the the antithesis of what the world's saying? Because you're worth it. It's all about you. The Bible says it's not about you. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. The fourth reason Jesus came was to be the cause of the rise and fall of many. The scholars are divided on what that means. Some say it was actually that those who first chose him would fall, and then they would rise again. Some of you have chosen him. You lived awesome life with him. You're on the apex, growing on that mountain, then you fell. Understand, it's normal because you're going to rise again. But for other scholars, they say, no, it's actually that, you know, some people are going to be offended by the gospel. The Bible in Isaiah 8, 14 says that Jesus will be a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. The moment you tell people you're a Christian, it's polarized. Some people are going to hate you and they'll step away from you. And you're scared of that. What are you scared of? Others are going to come close and say, well, tell me a bit more about your Jesus. Your life has changed. I recognize that you're not the same guy. You're not the prisoner anymore. 
You own your own business. You're not the drug addict anymore. You've got a life. You've got savings. God's turned your life around. I want to know more about this Jesus. If you try to reduce who Jesus truly is, you pull him out of your pocket when you need him. You put him away when you don't need him. Things are going great. Yay, God. And then trouble comes again. The storm comes. You pull Jesus out of your pocket. If you try to reduce who Jesus truly is, he will become a stumbling block for you. And you will fall. But when you understand him as Savior and Lord, that means the captain of your life, you will understand what true living is. Number five, almost finished. He will be a sign that will be spoken against. When I was thinking about signs, I was thinking about McDonald's. It's easy to find McDonald's signs. In fact, if you drive around here at the Springfield Lakes one, there's a sign when you come off Centenary Highway. The McDonald's actually isn't where the sign is, but it tells you there's a McDonald's and it's nearby. So you'll take the exit and you'll find the McDonald's. McDonald's are really great at being signposts. The Bible tells us that Jesus was called to be a sign. If we're to be Christ-like, we're supposed to be signs as well. The Bible says, you know, signs and wonders. You are the sign that points to the wonder. Here's the sixth and final one. Jesus was called to be the Redeemer. He came to bring the redemption of Israel. What that word means is this, is to buy back with a price. The Bible tells us the story of a prophet called Hosea who was told by God, this is the weird stuff, to marry a prostitute, a known prostitute. He says, but God, I'm a holy man. Go marry the woman. He did. The first son was given a name. It was probably his son. But the name of the second child basically means, I'm not sure this is my son. I'm not sure this is my child. Third one, definitely not my child. And this prophet, his heart is broken as his wife is cheating on him over and over and over again. She's selling herself off. At first, they were giving her money, but eventually with her own craving, she wasn't getting paid anymore, and she fell into bankruptcy, and she was being sold as a slave in the slave market. This is when God says, Hosea, go to the slave market. You're going to buy your wife back. And imagine this woman on the stalls right now as they're calling out these numbers and calling out the auction. And no one is bidding for her because now she's spoiled fruit. She's rotten fruit. No one wants a bar of her. And he lifts up his hand. He says, I'll pay the 30 pieces of silver. I'll buy her back. Imagine the conversation being quiet on the way home in that carriage. Why? Why did you buy me back? Why did you redeem me? And his answer, because I've always loved you. It doesn't matter how far you've fallen. It doesn't matter how far you've gone away. I will always love you. We celebrate Christmas in two days. And the top scripture I can, I, I can talk, call from my head right now, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. They didn't have to add the word so. They could have just said, for God loved the world. For God so loved you that he gave of himself for you. Don't get lost with Christmas this year and get caught up with the presents and the glistening tree. Remember what this is all about. He would love you so much. 
He will buy you back and redeem you. Can I invite you to bow your heads with me and close your eyes? In the quietness of this moment, as we reflect on who Jesus is, not was, is, and how much you are loved by him. So I look around this room with every eye closed and every head bowed. Perhaps something about what I said spoke to you today. This might be the first time that you have understood the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that there is a God who passionately, passionately loves you. In all your sin, in all your mess, he loves you. Perhaps you've been a Christian a long time, but you've fallen away from the Lord and your, your relationship with him is not what it used to be. I want to tell you that God is calling you back. He loves you. He is redeeming you right now. But he's waiting for you to respond. In just a moment, I'll give you an opportunity to respond. If this is your first time you're wondering, are you talking to me, Pastor? Well, I want to say to you, you've got butterflies in your stomach. Something's changed about you. You feel it. It might be the goosebumps in the back of your head. It might be the fact that you know something is different about me now. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. is moving all over you. If that's you, in the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand nice and high so I can see it. Hold it there for a moment, and then you can put it back down again. I'm not going to embarrass you. This is a private time between you and the Lord. You're going to work out your faith in time. But right now, he's just looking for hearts saying, I want you, Jesus. I want you. If that's you, on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand right now. One two, three. Right now, raise your hand if that's you saying that's me. Thank you. See that hand? You can put it down. God bless you. Anybody else as I look around this room? God is moving right now. He's touching hearts. Some of you are far from the Lord. You know you need to come back. This is your time. This is your opportunity. Right now, if that's you, I'm going to count just three more seconds and I'm going to finish. Three, looking around the room. Two, is that you? Jesus is moving upon your heart. Your time is now. Raise your hand so I can see it. One, looking around the room, one last chance. Thank you for that brave hand that raised her hands. We're going to say a prayer this morning because I don't want to single this person out. But I'd like the whole church to pray with me. Some of you wanted to raise your hands, but you didn't. It's okay. You've got to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, the Bible says. So I'm going to ask the whole church to repeat this prayer with me. Are you ready, church? Are you ready, church? Pray with me now. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your deep love for me. Your love overcame my sin. When I could not live up to your standards, you took care of the punishment. You died for me. Today I'm asking you, Jesus, forgive me my sins. Remove my guilt and give me your spirit. You died for me. Now I will live for you. Amen. Thank you for joining Life City Church. And we hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. If this ministry has made an impact on your life, we'd love to hear from you. Please drop us a line and share your story at thanks at lifecitychurch.com or email us your prayer needs at prayer at livecitychurch.com. We'd love to connect with you and hear more about your story. If you love the ministry of Live City Church, 
you can make a financial gift to help us spread the good news of Jesus by going to livecitychurch.com and clicking the giving tab. We hope today's message has spoken into your life and look forward to your next visit.